0: Hello, Mudbug. Time to buckle up for a fresh episode of Clay and Our Core, your pottery podcast, coming right to your earballs from the corner of Montgomery Road and Hudson Avenue in peace-loving Norwood, Ohio. I'm your Clay pal, Ann Saker. I hope you enjoyed our conversation in episode 58 about the coming changes in our second floor glazed kitchen. To me, the huge price increase for Gerstly Borate is a fascinating way to watch how global economic forces affect us as we go about our clay practices. We'll keep up with these trends at Clay of our core as we make these changes in the studio. Until then, may I remind you of the cult pastor's new mantra, If the bucket is low, don't get a glow. Wise words for us all. Today I came into the studio ahead of my work shift to get some bud vases glazed, and as a bonus, I listened to studio member Michele Benicchio speak with her mother on the phone in the most musical Italian this side of Sorrento's restaurant. It was one of those moments that makes me so happy to be here. Every day is a surprise. Now, Mudbug, for our artist interview, I'm delighted to present a good friend of the podcast, Dennis Allen. Dennis is an established and well-known potter in Cincinnati, and I've been wanting to talk to him about his clay journey for some time. He came to the big city from the wilds of Lebanon, Ohio to talk with us. Here's our conversation. Dennis, my friend, it's so nice to see you here at Cork Clay. How are you? I'm swell, Anne, and I'm very glad to be here. Very glad to see you.
1: got a lot of friends here at Cork Clay. That's
0: right, and you are one of our guiding spirits, so i wow. glad to have you back here in the house. Let me adjust my halo. <laughs> so Dennis, I've wanted to get you on the podcast for a long time, not just because you are a stalwart listener and a commenter on the podcast, but also because you are an exceptionally accomplished potter, and you bring a lot to the table, especially in our community here in Cincinnati, and I want to talk about that with you a little bit. But first of all, tell me the Dennis story. Where are you from?
1: I am from Cincinnati.
0: You are from Cincinnati. Actually, Milford. Milford, okay. Did you go to Milford High?
1: I grew up in Milford, outside of town, in what's now Day Heights. It was not Day Heights at the time. It was just Day's Farm. Ah. Uh, then all that developed as I was growing up in the fifties. Right. And the what high- was
0: Milford like when you were growing up?
1: Small town America. Yeah. Restaurant on the corner, and maybe four or five blocks of business downtown. There was a place out on Route 28 called the Farm and Home Center, where you could buy your chicken feed, your live chickens, wow. and your weekly groceries. Wow and everybody in town went out there and cashed their check for the week that they got on Friday and did their Friday evening shopping.
0: What did your mom and dad do out there?
1: Dad was a trucker. Mom was primarily a housewife. Then in 1960, the Methodist Church built a new building. And mom and dad were crazy enough to say, oh, we'll take care of it. Wow. So they took over the cleaning of the church, and it was a good-sized church. I was 10 years old, and if I went over and helped clean the church, well, it re- really was not an option. <laughs> I was to go over and clean the church with them ah. and learn how to run buffers and all that kind of stuff
0: wow.
1: when I was 10 years old. And for that, I got the grand sum of $10 a month. Okay. What you um, spend the 10 bucks
0: on?
1: probably pop, pop. <laughs> occasionally get to our string a little bit later Okay, all right. but uh, mine was always kind of tight and from the time i was probably 11 or 12 i did hay on all the farms up and down through there i've probably thrown bales of hay and straw on from every field on round bottom road out there wow yeah because there's just, just a couple of families all stretched out in different generations and the crew would kind of move from one farm to another and that's some of the hardest work I ever did but there was a lot of camaraderie and we had a fairly good time doing it even with the sweat and the scratched up arms and all that stuff
0: do you still live out there
1: no I'm in Lebanon now okay you are outside of Lebanon all
0: right so uh, sort of slightly uh, instead of it like four o'clock on the clock, you're now at like one o'clock on the clock, right? Something
1: like that. Okay. Can. All right. Yeah, I got married to my current wife, Tina. All right. In nineteen seventy five. Wow, bless you huh? and We moved up to Mason where we stayed for ten years. Okay. And then we moved outside of Lebanon in nineteen ninety. So
0: you were in Mason before King's Island opened? Yes. What was that like? Small town. About like Milford. Yeah, right.
1: A very small town. Uh, most everybody knew everybody and everybody else's business.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, schools were decent. wasn't a great fit for our son, but yeah, that's how it goes sometimes.
0: Sure. What'd you do for a living?
1: Uh, I was a teacher.
0: Okay. And your subject was.
1: My subject was very special education. Okay. I had the kids that were not able to be served anywhere else. I worked wow. 10, 15 years for Warren County in the county classes, and then the last five years that I worked, I was the department chair for special ed at Springboro High School wow. and taught a class as well. Um, early on when I we first married, I skipped over, I did 10 years working for the State of Ohio Bureau of Employment Services doing employment counseling. It was not exciting work, No. and sometimes you were counseling people that really needed counseling but didn't want any of it. But we're not going to dwell on that, we're here to talk about Clay.
0: Right. Well, humans are like that, and they often can bring some of those same characteristics into the studio, too. Oh, yeah. So there's that. So, let me ask you, but I am curious that I would not have guessed, if someone had asked me to guess what you did for a living, I don't think I would have said special ed teacher. I might have said football coach. Maybe yeah, that's yeah. the same thing. <laughs> so,
1: some days it is. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, you need to be very careful what you do. You only do what you need to do to control somebody if they're out of control. Right. So, and never let it get emotional. Right. There's just certain duties you have and sometimes you have to do them. Right. But I always had something creative going on. Tell me about that. Uh, in college, I was a, I took up photography. I was a guy with an old Nikon F hanging around his neck all the time. After college, I tried to have an independent studio for about nine months, never made any money, and, got tired of not making any money. right? And Tina and I had gotten engaged at that point point. I figured if I was gonna be married, I actually should have a paycheck. Mm-hmm. So we did that and I started making furniture when we bought a house and restoring furniture. I had a part-time gig doing that wow. for self-employment, doing antique restoration. Wow. There was a big shop in Lebanon that did stripping and finishing. And I subcontracted nearly all their woodwork. If they needed a table leg or chair rungs or whatever, I would make them. If they needed table leaves, I'd make them. If they just needed chairs glued back together, I'd glue them. And it was a, a great gig. I charged them a good price for it, for both of us. And the key was... I did not have to go around the county talking to every old lady that had her grandma's chair and wanted you to re-glue it for five bucks and then think about it had to come back make another trip. It was show up, get a load of work, go home, come back a week later, get a load of money and more work.
0: That's nice. Yeah, that's how and that goes.
1: over yeah. over 90% of my time was paid time. Nice. And that's unusual in business.
0: Yeah. Okay, and how did you acquire that skill? Was that... Well, I did t- you, Are you self-taught there?
1: Pretty much. I had shop class in high school for one year. Learned how not to cut my fingers off most of the time. That's the
0: most important lesson of shop class. Yeah,
1: right? it is. Um, I did manage to s- split this one a little bit on a table saw last okay. spring, but it's knitted back together, and okay. it was... An inconvenience, but not a major thing. Kept me from making pots for a while, though.
0: Oh, okay. And this is on your uh, oh, left oh, hand? On my okay. left hand, which okay. is my
1: inside the pot hand.
0: Right, right. So let's uh, ch- uh, just jump to the chase right here, and let's talk about what we both love so much, which is clay. How did you get to... How, tell me about your clay journey. How did you start?
1: Well, I retired. As and a teacher? As a teacher. How I probably were you? I was 55 years old. okay. Um, actually, it's 54 and a half. Okay. Uh, it's my 55th year, and I had 30 years of service. It was February, and it was t- it was time. I could see no reason to hang around when I could get almost as much retirement a- as I could working after expenses. Right. So that was a good choice for me. And I've been retired. A- Almost 20 years now.
0: Okay, all right.
1: And that's a good long run for a
0: fellow. Yes, it sure is. Um,
1: and since then, I figured i need something to do besides go fishing, which wasn't all that productive up no. our way. And very seasonal work, too, yeah. right? And one day the wife said she was going to go over to Middletown and sign up for a jewelry-making class. I said, see if they got any pottery classes over there.
0: Okay, so stop there. So... Did pottery
1: just pop into your head? or? Well, wood had gotten so expensive, I couldn't afford to make furniture ah, and make a profit on it. Right. Um, I'd always kind of had an interest in pottery, and I'd always liked antiques and vintage things. Uh, when I graduated high school, Dad said, what would you like for a gift? I said, get me a closed face pocket watch, which he did. Wow. And I gave that to my son when he graduated. How lovely. And he has it now, he better. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's got a kid I hope has it someday. Sure. Better.
0: Okay, so you th- So you I started taking so classes at head. Middletown. Okay.
1: And uh, she dropped out after a couple of weeks, her jewelry class, and I kept going. Wow.
0: It's a long drive from Mason to Middletown.
1: Well, I was in Lebanon at the time. Eleven at it, that, okay. It's not that bad, but it's not right around the corner. Right, really.
0: that's what I mean. I mean, you really, that was a dead. You, yeah. So tell me about the moment it clicked in your head that, yeah, this is what I want to
1: do now. oh uh, When I finally learned to center. Okay. I didn't tell them from the beginning. Typically, they teach hand building first, then they kind of work in some throwing if you want throwing. I said, I don't want to learn how to hand-build. Right. I want to learn how to throw. Right. And I would get some instruction from a very good teacher named Adriana De Palma, who's now out of Whistle Stop Clay in Loveland, All right. on Thursdays, I think she teaches. And she would give me some coaching and I would come in early and I'd stay late and I'd throw. And you know, once this started looking like something, And I figured out I could pull a pot up out of three, four pounds of clay. It just seemed like it was a good thing to do. Sure. And I would go to workshops in the summer and meet people from all over the country and literally all over the world. I am friends with international potters from the UK and South America and whatever. Right. I mean, people I could go stay with for a couple of days. Um, and I've always been very impressed with the sense of community that I found in pottery. Um, you know, I have a large following of folks online wow. on the Clay, on the Clay Buddies website. Okay. Um, I put a post up a few years back about how to make plates because people don't like to make plates, and I have a fairly simple method for making them where I can do the throwing part. Of course, there's trimming, there's glazing, there's everything else in just a very few minutes.
0: Wow, what's what's your trick? What's your secret?
1: uh, Take same weight of clay every single time, three pounds. I flatten it out on a 12 inch bat, go right to the edge of the bat, then I stand up the edge of the plate. I don't put a big foot on it Generally, any trimming I have to do is just a real quick clean up to smooth the bottom and maybe put a little chamfer on the edge of the bottom. And just you know, have your workspace ready to work and do, do the same thing every time you make one. I put up a video of that a few years ago and it's been viewed by over thirteen thousand people. Where's the video on
0: YouTube? Um, yeah. And what's it called?
1: Dennis Allen plates.
0: Okay. So just so so a listener might know where that if if he or she wanted to look that up online. That, that's where that. they
1: could find it, or they can probably find it in the archives on the Clay Buddies okay, website. Okay,
0: there you go. You know, I remember I don't, a couple of years ago uh, the cult pastor Laura Davis convened a little meeting at the brew house about. I don't know, some clay-related thing. And I remember you came and you brought your little hand-built gauge meister where you had like five or six little arms coming off a center pole. Mm-hmm. And you would, you know, if, this is, if you're making mugs, you use this gauge. If you're making yeah. plates, you use this gauge. The, is your, let me, and, and, and I wonder your oh, the, woodworking habits. Did they inform the yeah, tools I, that you made? Together?
1: Yeah, I, I still have tools, like machine tools. And it helps me make stuff. Yeah. Uh, if I'm I do very little molded stuff over forms and I have nothing against those people at GR they make a good product mm-hmm. but I don't want my for- pots to look like everybody else's pots like they just popped off the same form sure so I make my own molds the few that I use mostly on wheel thrown, and I make them out of uh, MDF fiberboard and I give them a good soak with uh, polyurethane. Oh, wow. And you know, for the number of s- slab-built pots that I do, they hold up very well. Awesome. It's not a huge deal. They're easy to make if you've got a table saw and 10 fingers.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. What are you working on now?
1: Right now, I'm trying to restock on plates. No kidding. I had three shows in September.
0: Wow. Where were you?
1: I was at... Um, Whistle Stop Clay down in Loveland. I was at Bellevue Art in the Park. I was at, oh, where was the other one? Uh, I think I was coming right off of um, Yellow Springs.
0: Okay.
1: And anyway, you
0: sold everything.
1: at, At the end of each one of those, I got hit on plates. People came through and they bought every green plate that I had. Wow. And then I had like two weeks to make more, which you can't do. Yeah. No. So that put me a bit behind, and I'm still trying to catch up.
0: Do you have a kiln at your house? I've got
1: three. Three
0: kilns, okay. So you, you fire, you do the whole production at your house? I do
1: everything except dig the clay out of the ground.
0: Okay. And where do you get your clay?
1: I get my clay from Link Henderson down at Kentucky Mud works.
0: Uh, works. What kind of clay are you using these days? It's a red clay, okay. Cone
1: 6. Uh, relatively smooth. There's a, a little bit of a tooth to it, but not very much.
0: Okay, that's such an interesting term—a tooth—that your clay has a little tooth well, to texture. it. Well, texture. Yeah, but I love that. It's a, it's, a, yeah. its not the word you expect there.
1: I—I had used earthen red from High Water for a number of years before that. I like a red clay, obviously. Okay. And. Link started rolling her own clay in Lexington. And I said, gee, that's an awful lot closer than driving down to Asheville. Sure. And that's why I switched. Okay. Up. I took a work- couple of workshops for a woman named Kara- Sarah Colbreth, who runs Tater Knob Pottery outside of Berea.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Lovely lady, heck of a potter. And she was using red clay, leaving her rims bare and i kind of picked up that from her stuff. Okay. I liked it and you know as i said i like antiques, i like primitive stuff. I don't like a lot of refinement and fancy on stuff. There you go. Just
0: like the simple form yeah. of the clay and, and the glaze. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you know i have made friends with a lot of potters that feel the same way. Yeah. I know Mike Baum lived down the road from me. Mike was one of the best potters in the country. He's been out from behind the wheel for a couple of years now due to an injury that he had. And we all hope he gets back. Amen. But I would travel with he and his wife Karen down to North Carolina for a big show down there in Dillsboro. It's in Silva now, which is just up the road. Mm -hmm. And I met a lot of potters down there. Uh, Some of them really big names, some of them just great people. Right. But uh, I really have enjoyed the community of clay.
0: Let's get on that question because we sort of touched on this before. So uh, one thing I like to ask people who come on the podcast is what I call the Laura Davis question, Mm -hmm. which is what do you know now that you wish you had known when you'd gotten started in pottery?
1: I wish I'd known to get my shoulders fixed before now.
0: Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, because you're feeling it now. I'm right? feeling
1: it now. And um, pro- they had not been great for quite a few years. Right. I, co- I couldn't throw a football in the year 2000. Wow. But um, as it is right now, they're bothering me more than I would like. And Do you have to get them replaced? Probably. I need to go see about that this winter. Yeah, wow. Okay. Yeah, in the off season, as we say.
0: But, you know, not all of us are in, challenged in that particular way. Is there some other way that you... Is there a, I mean, you have this giant reservoir of wisdom about clay. So maybe, you know, maybe your, your salad days, well, your youngest days are hard to...
1: Maybe don't take everybody else's word for how to do something. Okay. Do your own problem solving.
0: Ah. Talk about that.
1: Well... You can solve them. Um, One of the best tools I have for making regular size plates, and you've seen my plates; they stack up really Mm -hmm, well.
0: mm
1: -hmm. Is what I call a stick. A stick. Yep.
0: Like a like you mean a stick. Yep. Okay. And
1: and and same thing. I use it's the same tool I use to make my galleries and lids. Okay. When I have what I call a drop-in lid that sits in a gallery, it is a strip of thin wood. Imagine a ruler, but without the markings on it. Okay. It's 10 inches long, but it could be any random length, as as long as I use the same stick to measure the same pots every time. If I'm making plates, I get out my, small plates, I get out my 10 inch stick. Could be nine, 13, 16 or something, but as long as it's the same, it doesn't matter. I use that to measure the outside edges of my small plates. I slip it down in the gallery of any pots that are taking a lid, and I leave about an eighth of an inch wiggle room when I'm expanding the lid. When I, or the gallery. When I make the lid, I make the lid to the exact size of that stick, just like a feeler gauge. Right. And that way I have just a very slight gap around my lids they most generally fit. Wow. Um, at least nine out of ten. Wow. And I think it's really important to have lids that fit, pots that stack. And a lot of that is stuff I learned in principle from Mike, and I figured out my own ways to do it.
0: Okay. That's great.
1: But, um, you know, and I have become fairly well known for packing and stacking pots. Uh, I've guest lectured at NKU a couple of times just on making your booth furniture and making your boxes with dividers in them so you can drop your pots in. They're not gonna move enough to break, but you don't have to wrap every stinking pot and you're not gonna be on the lot after the show at 8 p.m. Right. And believe me, that's a motivator to teach you how to do something (laughs) better. (laughs) It gets awful lonely out there after Dick Overman's pulled out.
0: It sure does. It sure does. Well, Dennis, this is such a pleasure talking with you about your practice. You're a great inspiration to me and to other people here at the studio. So I'm thrilled to get you on the podcast to talk about what you do with Clay. Thank you so much.
1: Well, you're welcome, man. I've had a very good time. I always do when I come here.
0: Great. Yeah. That's great.
1: Yeah, uh, There's a lot of people around this place that I like very much. Oh,
0: yeah. Well, we love you right back.
1: And the one son of a bitch I won't name.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Keep them guessing, right, Dennis? <laughs> Dennis Allen reminds me that one of the most beautiful benefits of taking on a clay practice is meeting all the other amazing human beings who are just as into pottery. Thank you, Dennis, for the delightful conversation. Now on to some studio notes. Reminding once more Mudbug that our dear friend Nicholas Westercamp and her family could use some help with meals as she lives with cancer. We have a meal train website set up for Nicholas where you can schedule a meal delivery. Please reach out to Cor Clay if you have any questions about participating. Our next First Friday firing will be November 3rd, two days ahead of the time change, and why are we still doing that madness anyway? But I digress. The cult pastor has decreed a reduction firing for this first Friday, so get your wares on the glaze carts by October 29th for kiln boss Darren Simmons loading into the Big Bailey gas kiln. Reminding our studio members, the wares you set up for this monthly firing are not charged against your firing package. May I also suggest some Clay Club action next week, Mudbug? On October 17th, the cult pastor herself will be demonstrating how to hand-build chip-and-dip bowls. Bonus Clay Club fun? Actual chips will be provided. Just bring your favorite dip. Clay Club is free to watch. If you're a studio member, it's free to participate, but you bring your own clay and tools. If you're not a studio member, Clay Club is available for a $50 all-inclusive date pass, which does include clay and tools. I hope you'll join us. We're working hard in the Mason Gallery and the Gallery Store for the big holiday sale on September on Saturday, December the 2nd. We'll be ready for holiday shopping on Black Friday, November 24th. The December sale is held in conjunction with other Clay Alliance member studios in Cincinnati. Note to studio members, we want to show off and help you sell all the beautiful things you made this year. Come talk to me or Gallery Director Sam Buganski for details. Thank you for listening to Episode 59 of Clay at Our Core, Mudbug. Be sure to nail that notification button as well as the like and subscribe widgets so you won't miss an airs episode. And spread the love. Share it to all your other Potter friends. From the second floor office of the magnificent 1928 Charles Nash Building in peace-loving Norwood, Ohio, this is your clay pal, Ann Saker, hoping that the kiln gods are smiling upon you.